everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Thanks for joining me today at my little corner of the internet. This is the Off the Bench podcast. And today I'm going to pick up and, and keep building on what we were talking about yesterday. Yesterday I spoke a little bit about transgenderism and the heart of God and why the church has to be in front of this issue and not behind it. Today I'm going to tackle the issue of gender dysphoria. Uh, I think we can begin to start unpacking this as women of faith, as men and women who understand God's word and are are able to get out and defend it in the culture. And so today we're going to be talking about something that you need to understand, which is social contagion. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, welcome to the show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time at YouTube, I'm glad that you guys are finding me at our station here at YouTube. You can notice that the the uh, studio is getting a little bit of a facelift. My friend Zach Lesnovich from Ashes to Beauty Northwest is making us some new furniture and we're giving the studio just a little bit of an upgrade. We're not done yet, so keep watching. Things are kind of moving slowly but surely in a good direction here at the show. I want to jump right into the topic of gender dysphoria today uh, because I'm seeing so much. You know, yes, last week I talked about Dylan Mulvaney and then uh, this week on the show on Monday, I played a little bit of a clip from the Ulta podcast, which of course is being hosted by a man who claims to be non-binary, which by the way is imaginary. You can't be non-binary. You are born male or female. And so these words, this terminology, this woke ideology, these lies that have permeated permeated our school system, first in our universities and now in our high schools and even our elementary schools, these are insidious lies that up until recently, everyone agreed were lies. But we are watching as the world spins farther and farther away from the truth of God's word and away from just uh, being rooted in anything that resembles reality. We're watching how these lies have permeated the culture. And so I wrote a Bible study on identity called Imago Day, Created, Known, and Loved. And we've been studying that for the month of October at MomStrong International. I really want to invite you to join me at MomStrong International. This really is the heartbeat that started with a book that I wrote in 2017 called Becoming Mom Strong: How to Fight with All That's in You for Your Family and Your Faith. And in that book, I tackled the issue of transgenderism. If you haven't picked up Becoming Mom Strong, it's available anywhere that books are sold. I have a brand new devotional coming out next year called Mom Strong 365, Everyday Truths for Everyday Moms. I cannot wait for that to come out. But Mom Strong International really was birthed out of becoming Mom Strong. And so every month I write a study there and I teach it on Tuesdays. And I'm taking things that are happening in the culture and relating them to you in real time because God's word is relevant. The Bible is relevant to your life right now, but you have to know it. You have to know it and be able to apply it. Paul warned uh, young Timothy that the world underneath his feet, that the grounds were shifting, that he was on shifting sand. He said, Timothy, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but they'll turn uh, their ears to whatever they want to hear, whatever makes them feel good, right? And that's where we are right now. And he said that they will reject uh, the truth and they will chase after myths. And that's where we are right now. I, yesterday, as I was talking about gender dysphoria a little bit at the end of the show, I said I would come back today and I wanted to start by talking about something called a social contagion. I think this really does explain what's happening with this um massive push to 
normalize the abnormal, particularly for children. If you're not familiar with the idea of social contagion, this is the definition. A social contagion, according to OxfordReference.com, is the spread of ideas, attitudes, or behavior patterns in a group through imitation and conformity. I'm going to say that again, and I want you guys to think about what we're dealing with right now. The spread of ideas, attitudes, or behavior patterns in a group through imitation and conformity. So I want to talk to you today about social contagion. This is the spread of emotions or behaviors from one individual to another, sometimes without even awareness. Social contagion processes become problematic when they lead to uh, to a series of aggressive or maybe even self-injurious behaviors. So check this out. This is an example of social contagion from 1962. Listen to this story from Psychology Today, and I'll link back to it in the show notes today. In June of 1962, dozens of workers in a textile factory came down with the same physical symptoms, rashes, numbness in their hands and feet, and episodes of nausea. It was initially believed that the factory had been infested with some sort of toxic insect that had bitten the workers. This became known as the June bug epidemic. So what happened? Well, it was determined that this was a form of mass hysteria or social contagion. Some workers developed these psychologically induced symptoms and others developed the same complaints as the, quote, disease spread from worker to worker. Social contagion, listen up, is the subtle and sometimes unwitting spread of emotions and behaviors from one individual to other individuals. Emotional contagion is the spread of emotions through crowds, and it's the reason why a movie seems funnier if we're in a crowded theater as opposed to watching it alone, because our mood is influenced by those who are laughing around us. The same process would cause a stampeding wave of fear if someone were suddenly to yell fire in a crowded theater. But a study in 1981 found that emotionally expressive individuals who, who is emotionally expressive in all this? Let's just stop and think about it for a second. Could it be a drag queen? Emotionally expressive individuals. So a study in 1981 found that emotionally expressive individuals who displayed high instances of nonverbal cues of emotion, primarily facial expressions, were able to, quote, infect the emotions and moods of others in the room without any verbal interaction at all. Subsequent research found that certain individuals are more prone to emotional contagion and behavioral contagion is the process by which others' behaviors are replicated. This explains fads such as the Rubik's Cube, uh, Rubik's Cube craze of the 1970s, which you guys will remember, and the recent craze, which was the ALS ice bucket challenge, where individuals film themselves dumping a bucket of ice on their heads as a campaign to promote awareness of ALS Uh, spread along the internet. One categorization of contagion suggests these categories. And it goes on to talk about things like hysterical contagion, such as the June bug incident or the epidemics of dancing manias in the Middle Ages. Honestly, you guys, I would put uh, the Rona into a little bit of a hysterical contagion because we're talking about a virus with a 99.9% survival rate and we wound up with mass hysteria uh, in mass psychosis really in the culture. And frankly, we're still dealing with it. Another form is called deliberate self-harm. Such epidemics that would uh, that would be categorized as self-harm include self-cutting, eating disorders, suicides. I find it really interesting that Psychology Today 
does not list gender dysphoria in the deliberate self-harm because these are children who are being chemically castrated. They are, their parents are having young girls undergo radical mastectomies. And to me, that's deliberate self-harm, but psychology today stays very, very far away from that and doesn't put it in here. But yet they do put eating disorders in here. And let me ask you a question. If you saw somebody who was, uh, dangerously thin, but when they looked in the mirror, they saw someone who was overweight. Would you, would you enter into that delusion with them? No, you wouldn't because you know they would cause them harm. And yet that's exactly what we're doing right now. And so as you, uh, as you, as we study for just a moment, gender dysphoria, and we're going to talk about rapid onset gender dysphoria first, as we talk about this, I want you to keep this word social contagion in mind, because I believe that that's exactly what we're dealing with. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about rapid onset gender dysphoria. And then we're going to study a little bit on gender dysphoria and how we can respond to it in both truth and mercy from my Bible study from MomStrong International. I'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So again, I'm going to go back to psychology today. They describe rapid onset gender dysphoria. By the way, this is a new term. It it surfaced somewhere around uh, 2018, I believe. But let's unpack it. Gender dysphoria refers to strong, persistent feelings of identification with another gender or discomfort with one's own assigned, notice how they say that, own assigned gender or sex. When I wrote about this in MomStrong International, I said, let's talk about what euphoria is, right? Euphoria, euphoria is a noun. It's a feeling of great happiness. So if euphoria is great happiness, dysphoria is completely the opposite. So then you, now let's talk about gender dysphoria. So gender dysphoria is exactly what I just read to you. It's feelings that are strong and persistent uh, by a person who says, listen, I don't want to be, I, I'm a man, but I don't want to be a man. I want to be a woman, a profound and persistent unhappiness related to one's physical sex. Psychology today is using a very interesting term when they say one's own assigned gender and sex. And so even in the language that they're talking about gender dysphoria, it's confusing. Rapid onset, of course, is now easy. It is such feelings of discomfort and appearing more or less suddenly and apparently out of the blue. So is it a real thing? Lisa Littman, uh, who's a medical doctor and a researcher at Brown University, conducted a study surveying the experiences of parents involved in one of four online communities for parents of transgender children or, quote, gender skeptical parents and children. There were 256 completed surveys. Their children were mostly adolescents and young adults. From the parents' standpoint, about 80% of their children announced their transgender identity out of the blue. The study also presented evidence that the parents reported transgender identity was linked to mental health issues. You think? The parents reported that those worsened after their child announced the new identity, as did their relationships with the child, keeping in mind that some of the children were adults at the time of the survey. Other findings indicated that the parents saw a decline in their children's social adjustment after their announcement. For example, they isolated more. They didn't trust people who didn't believe 
uh, in transgenderism, this kind of thing. And this links to social contagion. And this is what I want you to understand. The social contagion that we are seeing right now, I believe, is gender dysphoria. And it has translated into transgenderism. And so this breaks my heart because I have met people who struggle with gender dysphoria their stories are tragic. The pain is real. So I'm not here to say that we shouldn't have grace or mercy for these uh, these people. I think we absolutely should. Be. But the reality is they're being targeted. And that's the truth. So when you see that we have, we have seen a, a rise in gender dysphoria, I read the other day, as high as 800%, this rapid onset gender dysphoria, it's absolutely a social contagion that's being pushed by the National Teachers Association, being pushed in our schools, being pushed in our, uh, in our elementary schools, in our high schools, absolutely in our universities. And we're seeing the same thing happen with gender dysphoria as we saw happen in the Rona. Where one guy, some dingling named Father Fauci, decides that a mask is going to keep you safe, and they say you have to wear a mask, and then you have to get a, an experimental shot, because if you do, then you won't get the Rona, and you won't transmit the Rona, and pretty soon we've got mass psychosis. I think we're going to see people uh, in masks in the grocery stores for the rest of our lives because of it. But we have a certain responsibility in the way that we respond to the issues that are around us according to God's word. Let's look at 2 Samuel twenty two twenty six for just a minute. It says, with the merciful, talking about God, you show yourself merciful. In other words, God looks at you and if you're full of mercy, God shows you mercy. What does this tell you about God? He places a very high priority on mercy. Listen to this out of Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God who is full of compassion and gracious long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. God is kind. The question is, are we kind? And as we uh, find ourselves continuing to deal with this, and I think we're going to be dealing with it for a long time, I keep telling parents, take your children out of public school. This is step number one. Take them out of public school. Put them in a Christian school. Homeschool them. Do some sort of a learning pod. Do anything you can to protect your children because the social contagion is every bit as dangerous as a real pandemic. And it is spreading like wildfire. And the only way we're going to stop it is if people who have their head screwed on straight and can tell the truth will stand up and say, no, enough is enough. Christians must speak to the issues of gender dysphoria and transgenderism from a biblical perspective. Stories abound as to why there has been this unprecedented explosion of rapid onset gender dysphoria. But I want to focus on two things where this issue is concerned, truth and God's mercy. You see, my focus is on helping you speak directly to these issues with solid biblical answers so that you can humbly and gently engage the culture for Christ. That is what we are called to do. God created us male and female, and this has an enduring significance from start to finish in the biblical storyline and the design of creation itself. It depends on the distinction between male and female from one another, yet fitted for the other. So what is the truth? The truth is that God created us male and female. And when we choose to identify as anything other than this biological reality, we are in rebellion against God. This is an attack against the creator God. It's no different than any other attack. It's no different than the attack on marriage. It's no different than the attack on, uh, on God's design for human sexuality with regard to homosexuality and what God says in his word. 
And it doesn't mean that we don't love the person who's engaging in that in that activity. It means that we stand on the word of God, the unchanging, uh, never-ending, unfaltering, unfailing truth that is in God's word because God created us. And in so doing, he gave us boundaries for his creation, right? God knows what's best for his creation. And he said, this is good and this is not good. Don't step outside the boundaries because when we do, suffering is the sure result. And so how do you... How do you answer someone who comes up to you and says, my child is suffering from gender dysphoria, or uh, I believe, you know, maybe it's a Christian, a friend of yours who's going to a woke progressive church who says, you know, we, we accept everyone. There's nothing more damaging, by the way, than a church that accepts a lie as if it were truth. Nothing more damaging. That is spiritual abuse of the highest form. Either know your Bible and proclaim it as it's written, or be quiet and stop calling yourself a Christian. But if you encounter a friend friend who's struggling with gender dysphoria, the first thing to do is to commit them to prayer. That's the first thing. And if your friend is a Christian, they need a course correction. God says that he disciplines those he loves. And woe to the parent who will not discipline his child. Woe to the friend who won't speak truth for fear of offending their friend who is making a terrible decision. A Christian who believes this kind of thing needs a course correction and biblical admonishment regarding God's clear design where male and female are concerned. In Ephesians 4.24, it says that we are to put on our new self. We are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And if your friend is not saved, guess what they need first? They need the gospel first. Your life is an example of what God is feels and thinks towards them. So are we being loving? Are we being kind? It doesn't mean that you sacrifice truth on the altar of mercy. And I think this is kind of where we screw up, right? So I hear Christians say, well, I'm not going to tell them the truth because they don't know Jesus or they need the gospel. And that's true. They do need the gospel, but you still tell the truth. If you saw somebody running toward a cliff and you knew that that road was, that was washed out, you would never say, well, you know, I guess they're just going to have to find it out for themselves or I don't want them to be frustrated with me because I stopped them and they were having such a great run, right? If I didn't believe in, this is the example I, I love to use all the time because I speak for a living. If I didn't believe in gravity and I'm up on a stage speaking in front of thousands of people and I decide, you know what, I don't believe in gravity and I go to walk off the stage, who's going to have his way, gravity or Heidi St. John? It's going to be gravity. And anyone that really loved me would say, hey, you're going to fall off the stage. Stop. Stop walking this way. You're going to hurt yourself. That's a person who loves me. Someone who doesn't love would just let let me walk right off the stage, right? Because they didn't, they, you know, my truth is my truth. What a ridiculous argument that we have, that we have uh, allowed into our churches and into our homes. So we focus, yes, on the gospel, but we don't ever separate the gospel from truth, right? And in many cases, before you can share the gospel with somebody, you meet a felt need. This was true in our work with homeless over the years. We, we, you meet the felt need. You see someone who's hungry and you feed them, right? You see someone who needs, uh, who needs a blanket and you give them a blanket. And when we fail to tell the truth, we're failing to be the men and women that God wants us to be. As we walk this life out, as we, as we learn to become more familiar with the word of God by studying his word, there's no substitute for it, by the way. It doesn't come through osmosis. We study to show ourselves as approved workmen who don't need to be ashamed, who can rightly handle the word of truth. 
That's what God asked us to do. So as we study the word, we learn to become more and more like Jesus. The moment we get saved, we we enter on a journey called sanctification. That's that's becoming what we were created to do, right? Becoming more like Jesus. I want to read this to you because it's so good. Uh, this is from the study this month. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person apart for its intended use by its designer. A pen is sanctified when we use to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when they're used to improve sight. And in the theological sense, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose that God intends. A human being is sanctified when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good things, which God has prepared for us beforehand that we would walk in them. And so when we deny our gender, we are denying God's beautiful design and purpose for our lives. It's a barrier to our growth in Christ because it hinders the process of becoming what he has predestined us to do. As new creations in Christ, we start the lifelong process of becoming sanctified. And as we do, we are restored to the image of God. And this has tremendous implications this idea that we could walk away from God's created order, that we could step outside of God's design when it comes to basic biology and, and male and female. When God created Heidi St. John, in his wisdom, he said, I'm going to make her a woman. I'm going to make Heidi St. John a woman. And that was God's design. If I decided to function outside of that, I would no longer be walking in out the sanctification. I would no longer, I'm going to say it again. If I decided to deny this basic truth, I would be walking outside of God's clear design for my life. So number one, I'd be walking in rebellion and sin against God. And number two, I would be failing to be sanctified as I was created to fulfill an intended purpose in my life. And part of that has to do with my femaleness. Have there been times that I wished I was a man? Uh, yes. And I, like, I know a lot of you women are tracking with me right now. <laughs> But the truth of the matter is God made me to be a woman. And I'm so thankful because as a woman, I have a unique responsibility, a unique role in the lives of my children, a unique role in the life of J. St. John and in our family and in our community. God created me as a woman. However, he created you or your children desperately need to know this. Mom and dad, are you telling your kids? Are you telling him, are you telling your sons that God made them uniquely male because he had a very special purpose for their life and they will be sanctified as they become and grow into that role that God has given them in the culture to walk out as a man. It's the same thing that we tell our daughters that God has created them uniquely to be women and we grow them up both male and female, and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's so important that we know God's word. And so as you guys continue to wrestle with this, uh, with the issues of gender, sex and gender and gender dysphoria in particular, I want you to continue to keep that word in your mind, that terminology for social contagion. Because when this was introduced to me some time ago, I was like, oh my goodness. And for the same reason you wouldn't want somebody to yell fire in a crowded theater, you wouldn't want someone to tell a bunch of little children that they may or may not be the opposite gender of what they actually are. I grew up, listen, playing with my brother, who's 11 months older than me, on a little hobby farm in Boring, Oregon, a little town called Boring. And all of our neighbor kids, with the exception of one, 
were boys. And so I played with them all growing up, man. I was climbing trees. I was playing Lincoln Logs and Matchbox cars and riding horses and uh, and building forts and playing cowboys and Indians. Thank God that nobody ever came up to me and said, you know, Heidi, you've been, you've been uh, digging in a lot of mud puddles with your brother and his friends lately, playing a lot of Matchbox cars and building a lot of Lincoln Log cities. Maybe you're a boy trapped in a girl's body. But that is literally what we're doing to our children today. And God help us if we don't start to tell the truth. God will not hold us guiltless for what's happening to our children. Not to speak is to speak, as Bonhoeffer would say. Not to act is to act. We have a responsibility to walk out the truth in love, to be both loving and merciful. The only answer to a bold lie is bold truth. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Tomorrow, I'll be back with my friend Mark Sherwood, and we will be taking your questions. There's still some time to submit those. If you want to have him answer your question, go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. If you have another question that you would like me to address, I typically do those on Mondays and you can address those to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. If you'd like to reach out to me via snail mail, I love to hear from you. Heidi St. John, care of firmly planted family, 11100 Northeast 34th Circle, Vancouver, Washington, 98682. Have a great day, you guys. Love your families well. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you back here again tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture.